0: Right, so we're going through Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a series. We're not going through verse by verse, um, as as you are probably all very aware of. We're just going to give a general overview so that we can later go back and look at Romans and study it in detail, knowing what it is Paul is doing. I've had the the privilege of not actually being in church for the last three weeks uh, because I've been doing uh, stuff with Southern Cross and Going over to directors' conferences and doing kids' church. So I actually went, um, after Tan spoke to me uh, or emailed me wanting me to do these uh, three chapters of Romans chapter 6 to 8, I spent a lot of time praying and thinking, what is it that God wants me to talk about? And probably about Wednesday, I thought, I had all these messages and, and things going on in my head. I suddenly had the, 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 Revelation. Maybe I should go and listen to the podcast. And guys, if you haven't um, heard the podcast of the first three parts of the series, I I highly recommend that you do. Because you'll have known that Matt, when he spoke about the first uh, couple of chapters, uh, basically gives us a revelation, or not a revelation, it it confirms that we are all sinners. We've all sinned. There's not one of us who is um, exempt from that. And then Tan went on to go and say, yes, we've all sinned, but Jesus has come and given us the answer to that sin, in that, that he's done it all. We can't, we can't do anything for our own salvation. So this week, we come in to look at Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Now, I just want to tell the story about what that picture is up there. We <laughs> You're getting a bit worried there. <laughs> we... As a family, had the privilege of actually going on holiday this year um, over the September school holidays, and went up to the Gold Coast. And while we were there, this advert was on all the TV screens. Basically, Hungry Jacks was promoting their one-dollar big thick-cut chips, and, and people come on the screen and say, "Wow, you know these chips are awesome. They're nice and gold and crispy on the outside, and soft and..." Mushy on the inside, and uh, you know, you haven't lived life yet until you've tried these chips. Now, Kristen, the whole holiday, had been nagging me, we've got to go to this Hungry Jacks and try these chips. And of course, then I've got Sherilyn on the other hand who says, No, we can't go to Hungry Jacks, we've got to go to Mecca's because they got free Wi Fi. Okay, and, and, and yeah, and because of the nagging of the Wi Fi, you know, and they have to do their posts for every day and check the emails, make sure that life hasn't stopped back with their friends. So, so we did the Maccas run, but I did say to Kristen, yeah, okay, don't worry, we will go and get these $1 chips, not a problem, and we're driving home, because we, we drove up to Queensland, we're driving home, and it, it literally we were coming between Sydney and Melbourne, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've promised this girl we're going to get these $1 chips, and... I reckon we'll stop. It was about ten, eleven o'clock in the morning. We'll stop and get a snack. Go, go, you know, stop at the Hungry Jacks and fill up with petrol or, or whatever, and get one dollar chips. Now, stop there. We get out of the car. And we go into the sh- to the the Hungry Jacks, and I order four portions of chips, and <coughs> she says that will be twelve dollars fifty. Thank you. I like, what? Yeah. The, but, but the TV ad said it's going to be $1. And she says, yes, but our managers decided not to run that promotion. But that's false advertising, isn't it? Surely, if, 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 if you advertise $1, you have to give it to me for $1. She turns around and says, yes. But there is a little caption at the bottom. Now, it's not on that picture, but it's a little caption at the bottom of the advert. It says, for ad- participating stores. Now, I don't know about you, but I felt very cheated at this point. <laughs> I was actually almost fuming, wanting to give her a big what for a piece of my mind. And, and, I, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm starting to churn up inside, because I can't really argue with what she said. I didn't have any proof. I just thought, oh, you know, and, and, and to think about all of this, it's only six bucks. Six bucks. Seven bucks. You know, my family's not going to starve for that six or seven bucks, but it was the principle. And I want to stand on my rights. (laughs) Anyway, I I paid the the money and and we get these chips, but all along, this is all churning inside of me. And eventually, I'm so furious about this whole thing that when we took the chips back to the car and we started driving, I think I ate two chips and I lost my appetite. The worst part of this all is that I actually don't like chips. You know, um, but we go through this whole process of of getting all wound up because I felt cheated. I felt that that my life, okay, I have the right to getting my $1 chips. I have the right, and, and, and no one can take that away from me. And in many sense, when I first became a Christian, I think I was cheated as well. You see, when I first became a Christian, yes, I went through the process of recognizing my sin, as it says in the first part of Romans. I acknowledged the sin. I repented from that sin. I did, you know, the whole uh, sinner's prayer thing. And then I believed I was saved. But then came this whole idea of sin. You know, and, and, and I had this whole torment of sin in my life. You know, I was a teenager when I first became a Christian. And 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 as teenagers, we, we know everything. You know, we, we 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 can't get anything wrong. But I was living, yes, okay, I'm a sinner, I've been saved. And when I was saved, someone took me through the process of going through different scripture passages, and one of the scripture passages is, is the Romans 6:24, I think it is. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No, no, no. I'm, I'm wrong. Sorry. Let me stop there and think again. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Okay. So in my mind, sin. Equals death no sin is equals a relationship with God so here are the, here's where the cheating part where I felt cheated comes into play, because I would constantly come and and beat myself up because. In my mind, I'm supposed to understand that I have now been forgiven of sin and I'm not, not supposed to have sin in my life anymore. But on the other side of the coin, I'm still sinning. So as a young Christian, I think I must have accepted Jesus into my life a thousand times, if not more. Because every time I sinned, I thought, oh, I'm going to hell again. No, I've got to now repent of it, and I've got to accept Jesus into my life again, and I've got to come back to the whole, go through the whole scenario. And, and I think Paul had a lot of this concept when he wrote chapter uh, 6 to 8 in Romans. Now, for those of you who've been listening to the series right through from the start, you, you'll understand the concept that uh, Matt used when he spoke about um, the, the whole justice system in those days, whereby you are guilty if you accuse someone falsely, um, and then Tan also used the whole thing that we are now justified, we don't have, we are not guilty of sin anymore. There's a concept that I want to bring to mind today that is also a judicial concept, but it's in a modern day term. And, and you see it always on TV, when, when people are sitting in the court and, and someone says something and, and a lawyer pops up, I object, Your Honor, I object. Because obviously something was said that was out of line. Paul, when writing to the Romans, also had this concept of they're going to object to what he has just said about grace and the grace we received and salvation from grace, not salvation from works or salvation from the law. So, Romans chapter 6 to 8 can be basically divided into three sections. First of all, we have victory. Secondly, we have liberty. And thirdly, we have security. Okay, so here's this passage, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And it's Romans 6.23. Now, Paul wanted the Roman church to know that, yes, we've been saved. Yes, we've received God's grace. But now it's actually time to move on in our Christian walk. We can't keep on going back to that first point. We need to move on. And... That there, I reckon, is the crux of the whole message. Is that, yes, we have died to our sin, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we need to keep on dying. We need to die to be able to live. Now, the whole concept of of living for Christ and dying to sin was not really explained that very well to me when I first became a Christian. And, and I didn't really understand what it meant actually to die to sin. I didn't understand that. that. That to me was a, it was almost like, in my mind at that stage, was that when we die to sin, it's like actually someone going on a diet. And when you go on a diet, you cut off chocolate, you cut off cakes, you cut off chips, and all those things that are really good. Vegetables. <laughs> I like your diet. You know, we need to cut these things off. And, and I thought, well, okay, now as a Christian, I've got to cut these things off. I've got to cut off sin. But that just overpowered me with guilt, overpowered me with torment, overpowered me with anger towards myself. I can tell you there were so many times in my Christian walk where I thought, this is too hard. I'm going to give it all up. I don't want to have this torment. But that's because I actually didn't grasp what it really meant to live a life that is not filled with sin, to live for Christ. So chapter 6 makes it very clear that we're no longer slaves to sin, Okay, and sin is no longer the master of our life. Now if you go right through chapter 6, there's several times in chapter 6 that it says that we're not slaves, we're not held in bondage to sin. Now what that really is actually saying is not that you've got to do the dietus thing for sin. What it is saying is that your whole life should not be ruled by your sinful nature. Your whole life should not be driven by the desires of your sinful nature. Your life should be driven and ruled and directed by the fact that you've given up that nature and you've taken on God's perfect, beautiful nature. Okay? So... Chapter 6 says we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer under the authority of that sin in our lives, in the direction we take, in the paths we take. Okay? We've been set free from this. We've been set free from that bondage. And therefore, we should not allow sin to rule over us. Now, it's, it's amazing that, that when you look at people who haven't really experienced that, how much sin actually controls your life. And, and it's usually in three areas. Okay? It's usually money. Power and lust. And that is what drives people. And, and I see this at work. You know, every time our, our, our CEO comes to us and he says, he he's in the constant power of driving to make more money. He, you know, yes, we're now making or selling in excess of uh, about $70 million worth of stock every month. But that's not enough. That's not enough. You know? It's got to be $100 million. What are you going to do to make it $100 million? He's so driven by the fact that you've got to make more and more, and the more you've got, the more you want. Power. You see these power-hungry people. They will walk over everybody, anything, and everything in order to receive the power that they want. Lust. Man, that is a downfall of so many people. That is something that really, if anything, that breaks the church up, it's that. You see so many pastors and spiritual leaders that have gone down that road of not dealing with that, of not recognizing that this is what's going to be my downfall. And those are the things that really drive us when we are controlled by our sinful nature. Those are the things that when we make decisions, when we make plans, when we live our lives according to the sinful nature, is where we're going. However, if you look at the flip side of that, we see that by living by righteousness, And living according to God's righteousness, we have a different path to follow. Yes, we can have power, but that power is used for good. Yes, we can have money, but we can use that money for God's work. Yes, we can have lust, but that's within the confounds of a marriage relationship. And it's when we keep it in perspective of what drives us, we can recognize that our sinful nature is no longer in control but it's our spiritual righteous nature that is taking us in control. And this came really true in chapter 7 for me. And I remember the very first time I read this passage when I thought, wow, this is awesome. Someone really gets me. Someone really gets me because he's going through the same thing. And Paul says this, I do not really understand myself, for what I do is right, but I don't do it in... Don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows me that I agree with the law, that the law is good. So I'm not one with doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one who's doing wrong. It is sin that's living in me that does it. So in my life, growing up as a young Christian, if I really understood this concept, that it's not sin that's living in in me, but the sinful nature that is causing me to continue on sinning, yet I'm directed by the path of Christ, and my thoughts, my desires, my Passion is to serve Christ. I am alive in Christ. I don't have to repent a thousand times of my sinful nature. That's already been dealt with. I already have that freedom. I already have that um, unity with Christ. So Paul comes along in in chapter 7, and he actually understands that there's going to be opposition to his whole concept of grace for salvation rather than salvation through works and through obeying the law. And he actually anticipated what the Romans might think when, when um, they're reading this passage of Scripture or when the passage of Scripture has been read to them. And he goes on to say that, or actually before this, before this passage, he says that shall we sin in abundance so that God's grace can be made so much more? And no, no, that's not, the, that's not the idea. That's not the concept that Paul wants to bring across. We're not going to receive more of God's grace by sinning more. That's not what it's about. Okay? We are going to receive more of God's grace when we take our focus away from our sinful nature and live for Christ. So how do we do this, become slaves to righteousness and let righteousness be our master? First of all, we actually need to recognize that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are no longer condemned for our past, for having lived in that. And when we truly understand that, that we have no condemnation, we can move forward. Now, the whole thing of, I don't know if any of you have been involved with Alcoholics Anonymous, but when, when I was a young boy, yay high, my father was an alcoholic. And man, I reckon two or three times a year, he would end up in rehabilitation centres because my dad never did anything by by half measure. He did everything with full gusto. And so when he drank, man, he drank. Um, There's nothing for him to down a couple of bottles of whiskey and brandy or whatever it is in a day. But the first thing that alcoholics in recovery have to do is to actually recognise that they are an alcoholic. And once they've grasped that concept, they can actually move on to the healing. And I think the same way as as, as Christians, once we grasp the concept that that we no longer are condemned for our past, we can move forward. We can go forward with our faith and we can grow. We can grow in our faith. Because we have been set free. We are no longer bound by our sinful nature. We are free from that. We don't have to follow anything that we don't want to. We don't have to do what we don't want to because we are free from that bondage. We are free from that. Thirdly of all, the Bible promises us that when we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit who comes and lives in in us. But this is the next step. We actually need to get into tune with what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Now, when I was a teenager, one of my favorite hobbies was um, electronic stuff. I would take all my pocket money and I'd go down to the electronics store and I'd buy little soldering irons and get a hold of resistors and capacitors and all these things. And I would put these things together. I remember the first project I did, I made a strobe light. Now, the wires were dangling everywhere and I didn't even have a a, a PC board to plug these things in. I just soldered all the wires together and, and put tape around it so that they didn't touch each other. And, and I had the strobe light and I still remember I, I destroyed one of my mum's my torches because I wanted the the reflector of the torch, and I put the little light in there. And yeah, it was. I, I absolutely loved it. But I remember still the first kit that I bought. Um, in electronic shops, you could actually buy a kit. Now, this had the, the PC board. It had all the bits and bobs that go into it. And you could actually make something out of it. And I really wanted to make a radio. So I bought this kit. You know, I saved my pocket money app or whatever. I big borrowed and I stole, probably. Um, to get, to get enough money to, to go and buy this radio kit. And the reason why I wanted it was because a friend two doors away had a radio, and he could tune into a radio station and listen to the music. Anyway, so I bought this kit, and, and I spent hours meticulously making sure I had the right play, piece in the right position in the, in the right place, and and I put this kit together. And man, I was so excited when I was going to turn this kit on for the first time. Is it going to work? Yes, it works. Oh, fantastic. At least it comes on. It's not exploded. It's not, you know, uh, burnt the house down. And I start trying to find this radio station that my friend listens to. And I tune it, and I just can't find it. I thought, oh, what have I done wrong here? So I took the whole kit back to the shop, and I said to the guy there, because obviously, you know, I had a limited understanding of electronics, and it was just a hobby for me. And and I went back to the shop, and the guy checked it out, and everything's fine. It's all working. It's fine. And and he found another radio station on it, so I said, you see, it does work. But I didn't find the radio station that I wanted. And this plagued me, because I'm supposed to be successful in making this radio. You know, as a teenager, failure was never an option. But what I didn't realize was that the kit I bought was for an AM radio. My friend's station was on FM. So there's no ways I was ever going to tune into that station, And if we want to actually move forward in our Christianity, we need to be tuned into the right station, on the right frequency, doing the right everything. Because otherwise we're not going to get it. If you want to move on in your Christian walk, you need to be tuned in to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. You need to be aware of the Holy Spirit constantly. You need to be on the right channel. Because if the channel you're on is focused on your sinful nature, you're not going to get anywhere. But if the channel you're on is guided by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when you're going to start living. And I think that's the message that Paul is trying to give us in chapter uh, 6 and 7 of this book. Because we will live for Christ. We need to die to the old channel. We need to die to the old sin. We need to die to the old way of thinking and processing and, and moving forward if we're going to live for Christ. Romans chapter eight. And this, I think, is, for me, the epitome of the whole gospel of Christ. It's almost my, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, because it actually takes the whole gospel message and it puts it in a nutshell. And the thing I love the most is that we are not alone in our Christian walk. We are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit within us interceding for us. We have the Father at the right hand sorry, the son at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And then we have God the Father whose love surrounds us and encompasses us. Now, if we've got the whole trinity working for us, who can be against us? If we've got the whole trinity directing our paths, how can we step out wrong? You see, it's that taking that step of dying to yourself, dying to your sinful nature, that which used to control you, and living for our spiritual nature, that which should control us now, that is going to direct our paths. That is going to way we move forward. What I wanted to do as well today is, is to give you a simple picture. A lot of people are, are visual in the way they learn things, and I want to take what the first eight chapters of Romans does and put in a picture form. So it just drives home the message. And we're going to go on an airplane trip. We're going to go on an airplane trip. We're going to go to the UK. Well, no. I only have summer for a week in the UK. Maybe not. Hawaii. Hallelujah for Hawaii. Aloha. (laughs) What we first need before we can go on a trip is a passport that shows our identity. Inside your passport, when you open up, it's actually got a photo of you. It says you are a citizen of this country. It's got your birth date, it's got your number, it's got your age and all that sort of thing. And you know the amazing thing about us as Christians? No one can take that identity away from us. No one can. If, if, If you lose your passport, that doesn't stop you from being Australian. That's if you're Australian, of course. Nothing can take away your Australianism away from you. Okay. If you get dual nationality with another country, they can take away one of those, and then you're sort of the other. But this doesn't stop you. you know, it's, like, it's like me. Um, I have had three passports in my life. South African passport, a British passport, and now an Australian passport. When we applied for our British passport, what we didn't know at the time was that um, if you don't apply for dual nationality, you lose your South African citizenship. We found that out about three months after we applied for our British citizenship. So, in essence, if I want to become a South African again, I have to go and apply for South African citizenship like anybody else. I will get it because, of course, my birth country means that I'm a South African. No one can take that away from me. No one can remove that from my life. I'm a South African by birth. As Christians, when we take on our Christian passport, we become Christians by birth. Uh, when we when we have that, that that incredible conversion, where we have that revelation of God's love overpowering the sin of our life, we take on God's citizenship. We get our passport. Right when you get your ticket and you have to go to the airport, you have to go through security. Okay, I really like the woman. they really mean looking and. And it's amazing how grumpy some of these security guys can be. I mean, we, we flew up to Sydney, was it a week away? Last weekend. And we get to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah. Oh. I stand there and, and you can see them all honestly. And then the lady says to me, have you got any aerosol cans or, or um, dangerous goods in your bag? No, I actually, I, I buy a roll-off when I travel. It's okay, you can fly with the aerosol can. You just got to take it out uh, of your bag. And so they can they scan it differently. Who figures why? I don't know. Anyway, and and she just really looked at me. Though I thought, "Sorry, I won't do it again. I promise." Yeah, but but what they're doing at that security checkpoint is they're checking for the rubbish. You've got to take out the dangerous goods. You've got to take out the stuff that is holding you back from flying. That baggage that you're holding, that baggage that you're holding on to, that is not part of the flight. That cannot be part of this flight. That security guard has got to take it out, otherwise you're not flying. We then get on the airplane, and one of the first things you do when you get on there, you find your seat, you sit down, and you put on the buckle. And they say the best way to fly is to, and they said it several times on the flight, best way to fly on the flight is to put the buckle on, so that when the turbulence comes, you are kept safe. What is this buckle? This is the buckle of truth. The buckle of truth that we get from the scripture. The truth that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we can grow and live and move as Christians because we have that buckle around us. Because we can get on this plane knowing that we will be kept safe by that buckle. Next thing, get to know the pilot. Get to know the pilot. Get to know the pilot's voice. Because when the difficult times comes on our journey, it's the pilot's voice, the experienced one, the one who knows where we're going, the one who knows where we've come from, the one who knows the path that we're going on. It's that voice that is going to take us beyond what we can ever imagine. He's going to take us out of those turbulent times and lead us to our destination. You know, Romans chapter 8, that whole package that you get there the fact that we've got the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit all fighting for our case means that if we follow what God wants us to do to get rid of the sin and to take on righteousness it makes that journey so much easier we can live because Christ has we can go forward because Christ has already been no holding back and, and, you know, several times in this passage, Paul repeats that phrase. Die to sin. Get rid of sin. Don't hold on to sin. Don't let sin govern you. Don't let sin be over you. But rather, live for Christ. Live for freedom. Live for security. Live for the future in Christ. And, and you know, when, when they repeat something in the Bible, it means it's really important. I remember when I was doing missionary work, oh, 20 odd years ago, I was at a, um, a little African, oh, we can't even call it a church building. Basically, we used to take a tent and we used to go to a farm and put the tent down there. And a week before that, we would tell them that we're coming and they'd get the word out and everybody used to come to this tent. And in the tent, we used to, we used to sing a lot because Africans just love singing. Man, can those guys sing. Wow. You want to be blessed by someone singing? listen to an African choir or... But anyway, I remember the first time we did this and I sat sitting there and they read, they, they started singing a song. And the song had four or five words in it and it repeated and repeated and repeated and went on and on and on. And I'm thinking, and, and these guys were dancing and they were, the, the tune and the harmonies coming out of it. And, and in my mind, I'm just thinking, aren't there any more words to the song? Now, I didn't understand a word of what they were saying because they were doing it in Zulu. And at that stage, I didn't understand Zulu very much. But I spoke to the evangelist afterwards. This is an amazing guy of God. Um, really incredible heart of servanthood. If you want to learn anything about servanthood, I'll take you to him. And he's the epitome of servanthood. This guy could not read, could not write. The way he learned the Bible was his wife would read it to him. And he'd remember it. And this guy said to me, Peter, if you don't ever learn anything else in life, learn this thing. As long as you've got the head knowledge, you can make decisions. But it's when the head knowledge becomes heart knowledge, you live those decisions. And when things are repeated over and over again, spiritual truths are repeated over and over again, it's a process by taking the head knowledge and making it heart knowledge. It's that important. And Paul does repetitive things. Don't do this, but do this. We need to take that knowledge from the head and pull it down into the heart. Let's pray together. Father, I personally want to thank you for Paul and Lord for understanding that his struggles with his sinful nature are similar to the ones I've struggled with. And knowing that Paul, that incredible man of God, that the, the one whose writings we, we live by, struggled with that, but yet had that, still had that incredible relationship with you, means that I can have that relationship with you. Father, I really want to thank you that you have given us this revelation. Thank you, Lord, that we can live a life full and abundantly. Thank you, Lord, that we can move forward. We can fly to our destiny. Because you are there at the helm of our planes. I pray, Lord, that this truth will become real to each one of us. That we are not held back by those sinful thoughts. But we can put that behind us and move forward because of your righteousness. Not only your righteousness, but your righteousness within us. We thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for who you are. You're so awesome. You're so powerful. You're so mighty. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. And thank you, Lord, that you chose us. You predestined us, as the scripture says. Before we were even made, you chose us to be your children. Thank you, Lord, that no one is exempt from that. We bless you, Lord Jesus.